How's everybody doing this morning? Still trying to kind of get myself set. There we go. Because I have all these different screens here to make sure are in their right places. And uh, they are. You know, my camera, I've got gray hair coming on the top of my head to go along with my no hair. So, But I'll take it. I'll keep what I can have. How's that? Hey, hopefully you're uh, ready for a great day today. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, kind of the final look this morning at uh, resurrection uh, issues and uh, thoughts around the resurrection, passages about the resurrection, uh, and this is one of those key passages that, you know, you could just remember 1 Corinthians 15. I'll go there. It talks about the resurrection because sometimes we have uh, people who want to have discussion about resurrection or debate about resurrection and things like that. So 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be today. 
don't know about you. I've been having real eye problems the last few days. Uh, somebody said pollen. Might have been Priscilla or somebody said something about the pollen. So if you notice me rubbing my eyes, I try to go off camera, but eyes have really been bothering me the last few days. Uh, so I apologize in advance. First Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand. I mean, we need to take our stand on this gospel that we've received. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. I mean, here is a, a, a phrase, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. you got to do something with that phrase. I had a conversation, uh, I think it was, I don't know, Wednesday or a week ago, Wednesday, uh, something um, about, you know, eternal security and whatnot. Um, and this is one of these places that, okay, here is a line, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 2, if you hold firmly to the word I preached. It says, by this gospel you're saved, if you hold firmly to the word I've preached to you. This is one of these passages, and I, I'm not calling it a question, but I just want you to know, here's an example of a passage that you have to look at and go, well, this seems to indicate there's a possibility. What do you do with this? Um, now, again, I believe you're truly saved, then you're saved. Uh, I, I believe in the perseverance of the saints, that, that those that are truly saved are going to persevere to the end. Uh, yeah, they they may they may wallow in their sinfulness, but they're you're not going to wallow away from their faith or waddle away from their faith. They're going to maintain their faith even in uh, the midst of sinfulness. He says this by this gospel you're saved. Uh, looking at it, verse two, by this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Uh, so you take the second part of this verse. Otherwise, you believed in vain. It might mean that your faith was uh, uh, not really solvent to begin with. Uh, that That's how you might take that, that you might have had a faith that was an illegitimate faith. Uh, what I would take out of verse 2 is simply this, keep holding on to the faith. Keep holding on. Don't let go of it. Not at all. Uh, don't let go of the faith. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly uh, to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Those that maybe believe uh, in vain. So, and and there's there's already comments coming up here about other other things that you can point to, other passages, other things you can allude to. I'm challenging us to look at. Let's say you had no other passage. You got to deal with this passage. Uh, and what it has to say here. Um, and certainly, yeah, there are uh, tares and wheat. And Jesus says, don't pluck out the don't pluck out the tares or, or the weeds. Just leave the weeds, grow up with the wheat. Otherwise, you might spoil the wheat. He says, in the end, he will be the one. Go back and look at that. And he says, in the end, he will be the one that will deal with the weeds. And sometimes I think, well, we've got to pluck out all the weeds. No, 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 no. It says clearly in that passage uh, that uh, he will do that sorting out in the end. Otherwise, you upset the, the wheat as well. Take from verse 2, though, this thing. 
hold firmly to the word that was preached. That's what you should take out of this. You need to keep holding firmly to the word preached to you. You need to keep holding on to your faith. If you do not hold on to your faith and if you let go of the faith, that could in fact be an indicator that you didn't have really true faith to begin with. And uh, that that's how many theologians would take this, kind of the things being pointed to in the comments here. Um, many theologians, but there are also, just for the record, many good, solid theologians uh, who would take uh, would not take the same view. There are good theologians who deeply love Jesus, uh, who would take an opposite approach. I just want to let you know that that there are, uh, we have to be so careful because we want to say anybody that doesn't agree with our theological stance uh, on, on on understanding some of these things. Uh, is is not Christian. That is not true. And I just will tell you that that is not true uh, unless unless they deny Jesus, unless they deny the virgin birth, unless they deny that the Word of God is, in fact, the infallible Word of God. I mean, that, that, then it becomes a whole lot more suspect whether they truly are uh, of us or not. But I have very dear friends who who love, love Jesus and who point people to Jesus uh, and who have led many, many, many people to Jesus who do not share the same view on eternal security. And uh, um, I think sometimes when we start parsing things out and not accepting the love of, love for Christ that people who may have a different position on these things have, we we harm the kingdom. Uh, and, and, we, and I'm not saying that, yeah, I am saying, sometimes we do great harm to the kingdom. Um, now, if there are, and so there are people who live by fear, and I wasn't planning to go down this road. I got to get into the resurrection stuff because that's the point. There are people who live by fear. Of, oh, what if I get my doctrine wrong? That's a fear. Uh, and then there's other people who live by the fear of, uh, you know, uh, if I don't live my life right, I won't make heaven. Well, that that's a works based salvation, and that that is a that is a false doctrine. Uh, we only have salvation by faith in Christ alone. Repentance plus faith equals salvation, uh, not good works. Our good works should should be an indicator, uh, a measure, uh, an example of the fact that we have uh, that we have in fact trusted in Christ. Now, I don't want to I don't want to labor this any longer than that. Uh, other than the challenge that's there. And Paul gives these challenges on a regular basis to hold firmly to the faith, hold firmly to the word that was preached. Let's go on and continue in this passage. It says, For what I received you, I pass on a first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures. And this, this is the gospel. This is the word preached. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, the prophecies of the old of the scriptures. Uh, verse 5, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So here is the evidence coming up for us. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, Last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. He means abnormally born. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't born again 
uh, at the time that the other uh, apostles were born again. That's what it means by, by abnormally born. It says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace to me, uh, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And he's just talking about the fact that it's the grace of God working within him. Um, why did he work so hard? Almost like he needed to prove himself to the others. But also he had such a radical uh, radical salvation experience back in Acts chapter 9 that it just, it just prompted him to have to do it. And I, I can kind of relate. I mean, mine was a pretty radical salvation experience too. Sometimes I feel bad for kids that grow up in the church. Uh, it's going to sound bad, I know, but but sometimes we've lulled them into into a sleep and they haven't had the encounter. And we need to pray that in our churches, people would have the encounter with Christ. Uh, and we need to get away from churchianity and get back into Christianity where we're talking about what it means to follow Christ every single day where our kids are seeing us following after Christ every day. Uh, there, there needs to be major change that needs to come into the life of the church. Why do so many kids leave? Because some, sometimes I think we're not showing Jesus, we're showing uh, morality. And it's not that we shouldn't be moral. Don't think I'm saying, well, pastor's saying that you don't need to be a moral person. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is we need to be firstly concerned about our spirituality. We need to be firstly concerned about a relationship with Jesus, uh, it is real, and because it is real, that will prompt us in our morality. But what I have witnessed so oftentimes is I just need to look Christian. No, you need to be Christian. And what does it mean to be Christian? It means to walk with Jesus, to know Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to be with Jesus. And out of that, then the morality will come. Back into the text here. Um, down in verse 11, whether then it was, it, it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what we believed. He is clarifying what the gospel message is. And here we go. See the, see the heading, resurrection of the dead. But if it is preached that, preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Let me read it again. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? I think I read it wrong the first time. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, uh, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, uh, but he... But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Let's eat wings and not be concerned about the amount of Guinness that we drink. Your faith is futile. What does it matter? Uh, how do you know, even know that morality is what it's supposed to be if 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 Christ is not raised and if God is not the standard, if God is a liar, if God isn't real, then none of it matters. But but Christ has been raised. And because Christ has been raised, uh, we can have certainty uh, of, of what we believe. 
Um, verse 18 continues and said, if Christ is, this is 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. There is no heaven. So what are we talking about heaven for if Christ has not been raised? And that would be a challenge I would give to people who say, we'll be in heaven someday. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Well, not really. Then, then why do you believe in heaven? Uh, and I think that's something you can push back on some people. Well, I don't really believe in this resurrection stuff. Well, how, how then can you know that there's a heaven? What, what other evidence can you point to? The resurrection points to the validity even of heaven and eternal life. Verse 18, then those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. Verse 19, but if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If it is only in this only in this life, only for the here and now that, that we want to think we hold on to Christ, that, and, then we're pitied. Uh, verse 20, but if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall asleep, not, not if, we read it again. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits are those who fall asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Now, again, here's another area where a person could take a verse into Claire's point, she was pointing out to other passages. It would be good to put the references with those. Um, Since death came through a man, the resurrection dead also comes through a man. For as Adam all dies, so in Christ will all be made alive. And the word I was looking at is the word all. Uh Verse 22, all die. Okay, we'll take that. We're all impacted by sin, so we'll take that. All die. But then you get over to the second part of verse 22, and it says all will be made alive. If you take that verse by itself without considering other passages of Scripture, uh, you it could lead to what's called universalism because it says, this verse says, you know, that in Christ all will be made alive. Uh, some would take this one standalone verse uh, and, and would make it to say that, that Christ's resurrection means that everyone will be resurrected, no one will be lost. God in his great mercy and his great love will, will assure the salvation of absolutely every person. But you have to look at the rest of Scripture. And that and that's that that's part of making us good students of the Bible good followers of Christ, is that we uh, consider other passages of Scripture and what they have to say. You cannot just look at this verse. And there are people who would look at just this one verse and conclude, because it says, so in Christ all will be made alive. So what does that mean? That means that, that all, everybody is saved. No, we have to look at the rest of Scripture. I think I've made that abundantly clear. Verse 23 says to us, uh, but each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. I mean, even getting to the next verse, the implication be there are those who belong to him and those who do not, verse 23. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom 
to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, everything that sets itself up against Christ. It says, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. This is an allusion, not illusion, allusion uh, to, uh, at least I believe it's an allusion to the uh, that, that battle that takes place, uh, Armageddon, the millennial reign of Christ, and, and then the ultimate uh, judgment, the great white throne judgment. He must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Their last enemy will be destroyed is death, for he's put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that it does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. It says, when he has done this, then the Son of Man himself will be subject to him who will put everything under him so that God may be all in all. It will all be about the totality of the Godhead then at that point uh, in history. Down to verse 29. It says, now if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized? And this is a practice. There were people that were that were being baptized for the dead. Uh, I would call it a pagan practice. Uh, and, and he's saying, look, if there's no resurrection, why even bother doing that? If the dead are not raised, why why are people baptized for them? And, and there's more that we could study. This is a curious little section of Scripture here that you could uh, do some study on. I'm not going to labor the point because I want to keep focused on the resurrection. Verse 30 says, and for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour if the resurrection didn't happen? Why do we go to church on Sunday or Saturday or whenever we might go if the resurrection didn't happen? If the resurrection didn't happen, why bother opening the Bible? Because if the Bible's talking about the resurrection of something that didn't happen, then it doesn't matter. Uh, if the resurrection of Jesus is factual, then we need to hang on to every word of Jesus and every word of Scripture. But if it's not, let's, let's throw the Bible aside and just go live hedonistic lives. I purport to you the res resurrection has... Uh, ample evidence as we have been hammering out all this week that there is all kinds of uh, evidence for the resurrection. Verse 31, I die every day. I mean, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you and in, in Christ Jesus to die every day uh, means dying to self. If I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, He's calling these people who attacked him in Ephesus wild beast. What have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But he says, don't be bad. Uh, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning, for there's some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. Uh, I mean, he's looking at this and saying that there are those who are ignorant of God and saying it to their shame. Let's make sure that we're walking with Christ as we ought to be walking with Christ. Let's finish this out here. Some may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body? Uh, what kind of body will they come? With what kind of body will they come? There we go. How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives us a body as he determined, 
Each kind of seed he gives to its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish have another. I mean, to those who want to say, hey, we're all the same. You know, we're all interconnected. Well, in some sense, maybe, yes, but we are not all the same. There are also heavenly bodies. There are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. It's called the glorified body. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 talks about this. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon has another. The stars another. The stars differ from star to star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. Perishable. It is raised in perishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Uh, so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was was of the dust of the earth. The second came from heaven. Um, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Uh, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. And he gets into this. Let me just finish out this passage. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the, per the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that's, I mean, we, we think of victory and we think of what we read uh, in this verse. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And, and that's, that's, that's my tact. That's my approach to uh, to give myself fully to the work of the Lord, uh, and and for all of us in, in in certain measure to be giving ourselves to the work of the Lord. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you holding out for that victory that is given in Christ? Victory, friends, victory. Death has no victory. We do have such great hope. And so we live this life focused on the things of Christ. And so we live this life trying to point other people to Christ. This, friends, is, is another glorious passage about resurrection. Not only does it get about, talk about the resurrection of Jesus in the opening verses, 
Not only does it does it talk about in those middle verses um, what if the resurrection didn't happen, and it, it kind of lays out, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're miserable men. But if it did happen, then we are, you know, we we have something glorious. And then these last verses, the idea of the victory that we have in Christ, and and that. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, we will be changed. We look forward to that day. Well, again, this is another great passage that you can turn to to, uh, to point people and you're in conversations about, uh, about resurrection. Uh, you now have yet just one more place that you can go that you can point people to, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll get into something different next week. Uh, I'm kind of inclined to get into the book of Acts next week. Uh, We've done Acts before, but maybe we'll come back to uh, the book of Acts again to consider, okay, now we've we've really talked up through the life of Christ, and now we've hit the resurrection. We've hit him ascending in Acts chapter 1. Now what happens? Well, the book of Acts happens. The, 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 The start of the church happens. And friends, we are the continuation. We are the sequel that continues. Uh, And may Christ be just every bit as alive in us as he was in the early days of the church. That's my prayer. Hope will be your prayer too. Well, friends, have a great day. We give a shout out. We we pray for Melody and her recovery this morning, Lord, and uh, that you would strengthen her as she recovers from her surgery. We pray your blessing upon her your blessing upon her family, she and Kelly and uh, Jeremy and and the granddaughters as they, um, as Melody recovers, we lift her to you. Lord, and some of the other things going on in people's lives that you would uh, be at work. Thank you for the ways that you are working. And I pray today you help us to, to walk with you, to live with you, to walk in your resurrection power for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Friends, have a great day. It's Friday. We will see you over the weekend, Lord willing. Have a good day.